This is Jezology. It's a real science, honestly. Not just a podcast of me talking about me. Or, or maybe it is. It's Jezology. Hello and welcome to episode one of series one of Jezology. My name is Jeremy Johnson and I am, amongst other things, a singer-songwriter, sporadic adventurer, travel writer and a former professional geoscientist. This first series of Jezology is basically going to be a collection of some of my favourite adventure and travel stories that I've experienced and written about, uh, particularly those with a musical twist. There will be a written version of all the stories that I will post on my website at jeremyjohnson.co.uk. Much of the music I write as a singer-songwriter comes directly from things I've seen, experienced and learnt on my travels. And for me, both writing and music offer different but complementary ways to express and consider these life lessons. There are six biographical stories from adventures I've had in this first series of Jezology, and they will be accompanied in each episode by a short introduction to explain a little more about the context and timing. Thanks very much for tuning in to listen to this podcast. I hope giving these stories a listen gives you as much pleasure as it did for me writing them. If you like what you hear, do check out my writing at jeremyjohnson.co.uk, where you'll find tour dates, merchandise, and links to all my creative spaces. To give you a little background into this episode story, I have to take you all back to early 2011. I just got back to the UK after living in Angola for 18 months and I wanted to get away and do a big life-affirming adventure. I was 25, I went to my local bike shop in the town I grew up in, I bought a touring bike and some gear and I set off a few weeks later. My mum would later say that she thought I'd get to the coast and give up, uh, but nine months later I arrived in Dharamsala in northern India, which would be my final destination on the trip. I'd cycled 12,000 kilometers through 18 countries, one of which was Iran, um, which turned into probably my favorite experience during that adventure. And this is a story taken from that time. In late July, I arrived on my bike in Eastern Iran, and that's where this story picks up. My name is Jeremy Johnson, and this is episode one of series one of Jezology, entitled Sex, Rugs, and Rock and Roll. We sit at a small glass-topped coffee table. There's something a little manic and unstable about my new friends, which I've so far been unable to fully comprehend. But in the interest of maintaining an open mind, I attempt to remain separated from judgment during this social honeymoon period. I've been introduced to our host rather modestly with a wink and a wry smile as the doctor, a name that belies his pharmaceutical career but is metaphorically justified regarding his subtle role in this group of young, free-thinking Iranians. The doctor's bare, chubby arm glides out in front of me, over a gold Beretta 9mm pistol at the centre of a low table, to a pestle and mortar. My acquaintances watch his every move with nervous excitement. Dust has accumulated in the corners and across the faux marble veneer that adorns many of the surfaces in this modern, new-build semi in a wealthy district of the holy city of Mashhad, eastern Iran. 
The kitchen is bare and we sit around together on a mixture of scrabbled together plastic and leather chairs, typical of a bachelor's existence. The doctor's almost constant half-smile and cool demeanour suggest his contentment with the anti-establishment polyamorous lifestyle. My suspicions seem vindicated as he produces, injects and begins to grind six or seven tabs of prescription Ritalin into the mortar with his captive audience looking on. Each member a decade his junior, transformed from aching lethargy to relieved excitement, awaiting their impending fix. Turkish death metal screams loudly in the background as my friends systematically inhale their share of crystalline stimulant, revealing the doctor's quizzical relationship with this younger, dependent group. The music is a present, bought a few days earlier in Turkey by my new host brother whilst in Istanbul for a Judas Priest gig. My host brother explains to me in exuberant broken English that the Doctor has been a long-time sponsor of his metal rock group, a role integral to the fringe music here due to it being principally unacceptable in the eyes of the government. He goes on to describe how a friend of his was arrested and jailed for dubiously enforced trafficking offences after returning from a rock concert in Istanbul with a small amount of band merchandise much in the same way that a small-scale drug dealer might be made an example of within the European judicial system. When I first met my unshaven alternative friend somewhere on the Kavir Desert Road, I had wondered why he'd obscured his long, matted ponytail, hailing from the golden era of rock and roll, down the back of his faded denim shirt. But slowly I was beginning to become perceptive to the intricacies of living within youth subculture in a country where theocracy is guided by strict Islamic ideology. They think we're devil worshippers, I'm assured rather dramatically. We all have to be careful, he says. I inquire about the almost hourly use of Ritalin as a drug of choice by my companions and receive an interesting and rather logical answer. The availability of stimulants such as cocaine in Iran is almost non-existent compared to the flood of opiates that wash across the border with Afghanistan, which naturally drives the price of such stimulants through the stratosphere. Ritalin provides a similar, if watered-down, effect to cocaine at a fraction of the price, provided you know someone with a supply of prescriptions. I receive a knowing wink from the doctor at this point, as he reaches down, picks up the Breta pistol, and offers me a cigarette. As I decline, he cocks the golden semi-automatic weapon towards me. Uncertainty grips my expression as our eyes lock together for a split second, but I'm allowed no time to react before he pulls the trigger. A lick of flame erupts from the muzzle. A smile creases his face. Any Bond villain worth his salt would have taken that opportunity to say, good, because smoking will kill you. These finer points of Iranian youth drug use are being explained to me through dark, spellbinding eyes and a smile that melts any suspicion of narcotics I'm clinging to. We don't take opiates. They depress your soul, she elucidates artistically. I can't help but sympathise. Sometime later, I find myself sitting in a dark, soundproofed basement at the other end of town. A row of beautiful guitars hangs on the wall to my right, below monochrome portraits of Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles. I tune the acoustic guitar on my lap nervously and attempt an explanatory monologue into a professional performance microphone floating below my nose interspersed for comic effect with what little Farsi I have gleaned during my month in Iran. Thirty or so pairs of eyes accept me warmly as my host brother and my friends heckle in broken English from the back of the room. 
The impromptu gig I'm playing is part of an underground performance by a Persian indie folk band with whom I'd become friendly through late-night moonshine-fueled jam sessions during my brief stay in Mashhad. I play my Western folk covers badly, but to rapturous applause from grateful music lovers. My talented friends then take to their instruments once more for a beautiful, soaring encore, during which a smart, woven trilby hat is passed silently through the intimate crowd, part subtle ticketing method, part owed to the honesty and humanity of the busk. I know the outcome of my attempt to donate before I have even thrust my monetary appreciation towards the straw bonnet. The insistent and unending generosity of my musical hosts once again humbles me as my considerable offer of notes is quickly deflected by a simple gesture soaked in altruistic pride. The band had explained to me that despite their very much Persian-styled indie rock, previous attempts to perform live had been shut down without warning by mysterious, suited government officials, seemingly unsympathetic towards events deemed un-Islamic, forcing them, their art and their profession underground. Eventually, my time in Mashhad amongst a musical subsect of modern Iranian society comes to an end, and I move on, once again pondering what I have seen, heard, and had the privilege to experience. I suppose I cannot help but interpret parallels between the musical movements in British society and those I witnessed in this vibrant holy city. Iranian youth culture itself differs very little from British. Both drink, take drugs, party, experiment, indulge in expression, yet the physical attributes of their societies differ dramatically. I imagine what young British musicians open to an unlimited online musical education would do if the government imposed strict regulation to keep their art repressed, limiting its powerful influence. It is difficult to imagine such a scenario in the UK, short of rewinding hundreds of years towards a seemingly archaic Cromwellian protectorate, or progressing hundreds of years into a futuristic Orwellian Big Brother state. But in Iran, this system is imposed, active, and more tragically, accepted. Yet artistic expression lives in Iran like a coal seam, combusting silently beneath the Earth's surface, or a great forest fungus, interconnected and extensive, yet virtually out of sight. The intricacy with which subcultures in Iran dodge and weave between the choking rules enforced by a theocratic government is inspirational and speaks volumes of the human need for expression and the deep-rooted power of art and music. If anything, the oppression of un-Islamic music in Iran creates the foundations for the purest form of musical generation. Removing all but the most dedicated, talented musicians from the system and allowing spectacular, beautiful art to blossom. The sweet irony of this situation quickly turns bitter in the mouth as I remember how the wonderful musicians I met here struggle with the viability of producing their music professionally within their motherland. But as civilizations, religions and political ideologies have come and gone, our human need for artistic expression has held true as a perpetual flame. While there are people willing to listen, music will be produced and quiet artistic revolutions will slowly and peacefully evolve. For my friends in the East, I hope sooner rather than later. All the blood and the pain, the joy that may follow the tears. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, episode one of series one of Jazzology. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do take the time to like and follow it on whichever platform you're listening on. 
All of these stories can be found at jeremyjohnson.co.uk along with all my music, tour dates, merchandise and much more. So do go and check that out. You can also keep bang up to date by following me on social media at Jeremy John Songs across all platforms. Until the next time, this has been Jezology and I've been Jeremy Johnson. Thank you. For years you had laughed while my act told the blade on my sword. Why you ask for my arm, I can offer a joke or a rhyme. But this fight is not mine.